Episode 75 of Fitness Behaviour with Bevan James Isles. An interview with Bryce Hastings. Radio team, welcome along to episode 75 of Fitness Behaviour with Bevan James I was your fortnightly podcast on the behaviours that create a lifetime love of fitness, so you can get all the benefits that come alongside it. Welcome along, I'm back from the UK, I went away to, over to the UK for a week, and uh, it, it is quite funny, when you go overseas, and particularly when you go from New Zealand to the UK, because they are 11 hours behind us, so it's, it's almost like the total flip of your time clock when you arrive there, and pretty much I was... In the UK, I was away for 10 days, but that's basically three days of travel in between. So I kind of had seven days in the UK. And to be honest, I did struggle with my sleep because I kept waking up at like one in the morning when I was in the UK. And I'd, I, I like one of the things I really wanted to do in the UK was to see stand-up comedy and music, to have experienced some of the nightlife while I was over there. But unfortunately, it just wasn't possible because I... I just couldn't stay awake. <laughs> I even bought tickets to a stand-up show and I, I went and saw the Book of Mormon for the matinee uh, performance at 2.30 in the afternoon and I was going to see some comedy after that and I went out of Book of Mormon and I was like, you know what, I'm, I'm, going, home, I'm going to bed. So, But the funny thing was, was that then my last night staying in the UK was the first night that I got a proper night's sleep where I went to bed a little bit later, you know, about 9 or 10 and woke up at like 7 in the morning and then I had to come back home. And now I'm back home and the same thing's happening that way around. So it's been a few tired days for me, but I can't complain. I had a really amazing experience in the UK. I got to present at Les Mills Live, which is this massive fitness event. Uh, just a really cool experience with uh, lots of fitness instructors. I know quite a few listeners of the show were there and just thanks for coming up and saying hi. Um, and then I just got to spend some time in London. And I've never, I've spent one day in London in my past, but in this time I got a real good chance to, I pretty much had four days where I could just explore the city. And it's a fascinating city for lots of reasons. Uh, the history is pretty phenomenal. The history of Britain on the world is quite interesting as you're in there. As a city, architecturally, it's it's so diverse. It's very much, it seems like almost every corner you turn there's just a different feel to it and in and, and, and ways that I find really appealing, just very interesting city kind of walk around. It's also such a diverse city, a diverse group of people and that energy and just that big big city kind of energy. One of the, one of the real highlights, there were quite a few highlights of the trip, but one of the highlights was I went to the Science Museum. I love going to museums and, and London's got some great museums, the British Museum and I went to the London Museum. and uh, But the Science Museum... I was just really inspired by it, and I've got to be honest, science is far from a subject that I have much knowledge in, but it was just a really interesting museum, basically they kind of took you through a lot of time, or recent times probably more than anything, and just showing you some of the inventions and the discoveries that have been made that have influenced the way we live life, and I remember just walking around the science museum and just... You know, because a lot of, like, for example, some of the engineering feats that they showed you around steam and, and energy, around all the how steam and the machine engine and all those kind of technological advancements really shifted the world. And and I just loved, I, I have to admit I was very inspired by the idea that, you know, these these people who 
who who invented a new way of living. And I know right now we live in a fascinating time around technology and you know it's almost like the speed of which technology moves our lives forward are really really fascinating. And and I just ultimately as I was walking around these kind of amazing engineering feats and reading of the people who had made these discoveries and made you know massive massive kind of influences upon the way we live our life and and even to the way probably influence the way we live life today and just thinking about being somebody who who creates something that makes a difference and and it really inspires me i love this idea of in my time i'm going to make a difference and I'm going to make something that's going to make a difference. And and when I talk about making, sure it can be the making of an engineering feat. It can be a physical making. But and in some ways it can just be I, I make a difference in people's lives and the way I act and stuff like that. But it was just there was just something about it that I just was really inspired by. And and, and that aligned with I, I went and stayed with. I didn't get a chance to interview him. I might try getting on the show at some stage. But I've I've often talked about my my Yoda of my life and uh, a guy called Chris. And I actually went and spent a couple of nights with Chris and um, hung out with him for a couple of days. And him and I, I just I love spending time with him because we we get pretty deep pretty quickly. Um, and he just inspires me. And Harry lives his life. And and Chris is now a school teacher in the UK. He's he's an English teacher and you know, his ability to to help people and these kids, you know, achieve amazing things is pretty phenomenal. And the one thing I really got from this trip and spending my time with Chris was his sense of the mission is more important. And and Chris is someone who very much believes in that, that our job should really be about helping others grow and develop themselves. And, and you know, and that's his belief. Now, some people don't have that belief. Some people have different priorities in life. And, and uh, you know, and, and that's your choice. But the thing about him is he is so uh, relentlessly focused on what is important to him. And he's not willing to compromise that no matter what. And he's quite happy to put his energy into life to make that his life's work. And I have to admit, you know, it really, for me, just spending some time with somebody who is so aligned with what their mission is and what what is important in the world. And, and like, for example, you know, like one thing I know a lot of people struggle with is this whole idea of confrontation, this whole idea of I won't say the hard thing because I don't want to rock the boat or I won't say the hard thing because I'm afraid people won't like me or I won't say the hard thing, you know, for all of those things. So we have things that we may know we should do. And we have, you know, actions that we maybe should take and stand up for in the world, but we'd rather be liked or we'd rather not upset the boat or we're afraid of how we're looked upon if we do these things. And with Chris, because he has such a strong sense of the mission, the mission always comes first. The mission of, I want to make sure that my time is spent helping these young teen. He's got a, an old boys school. These young teenage men use English or use the subject of English to explore, to make themselves better, and to to grow them as people. And so, when things will come in in front of him that may compromise that, he's not afraid to stand up for what's really important because it's more important that his mission is achieved than people liking him. Now, don't get me wrong, he's a very likable character, it's not that people aren't going to like him, 
But what I'm emphasizing here is that sense of what's really important drives all his behaviors. And at times when the hard thing comes up, because it's so aligned with he's so aligned with what's important, it just happens. He he does what needs to happen. And for me, you know, I've I've talked on the show how for this moment in my life I'm in a very transitional period. I've been working towards this moment and as the days go by, there's this transitional period. And, and I think I, t- I talked a few shows ago about this whole idea of letting go of my past success because it's actually holding on to that. It's actually holding me back. And one thing in spending time with Chris was it realigned my thinking of what my job really is. And, and I'm very fortunate that I've, I've my job is to help people love fitness. And that's what I should be doing with every moment of my day that I'm going to devote to my work. That That's my work in this life. And sometimes insecurities make me look elsewhere or look, chase the wrong thing. But actually, if I live a life where I'm absolutely aligned with this mission of mine and working hard on this mission, that's going to be a fulfilled life. And that's what I see when I spend time with Chris is that his life is so fulfilled because he's so aligned with that. Now, to be honest, as a person, I'm I'm pretty much on par with that as well. But but just, you know, I, I may not be exactly where I want to be with that. And spending that time with Chris realigned that with me. And so as I think about you right now, as you think about yourself right now, and that sense of mission of your life, you know, what is the mission of your life? And in some ways, I, I look at Chris and I admire him in ways because the, the the traditional things that appeal in this modern world, like material, like uh, you know, material things, like a status, like um, you know, the way we represent ourselves to other, they just don't matter to him. He's he's not concerned with external factors that you know so many of us chase. Because he just knows that the work he's doing is, is the most important thing to him. So they hold no real value. Because he's doing the work that's so great inside himself. That why would I want to put energy into chasing something over here. That actually doesn't can't provide me with the same kind of sense of satisfaction and reward and impact that I want to have on this world. And so, you know, as you think about yourself. And you kind of really contemplate what is what is your mission. And I know some people listening to this are probably thinking, well, Bev, I don't know. I don't even know what my mission is. And, and sometimes I wonder as, as maybe it's just you're not allowing yourself to actually look. Because I think deep down all of us probably do have that. Well, no, that's unfair of me to say. Maybe we don't. But I think a lot of us probably do have an understanding of what our real mission is. And, um, you know, are you making the choices to move yourself more towards that? pretty interesting stuff and I just you know it was a really valued time I, I will try to get Chris on the show he's the kind of guy that again his mission is uh, it, it's a really good example of this Bill Burr is one of my favorite comedians Bill Burr is uh I love comedians guys it's one of my favorite pastimes is comedy and Bill Burr is very kind of edgy um <laughs> he's definitely uh, some people wouldn't like him but I love him I think he's brilliant and I was listening to an interview with you know one thing nowadays in podcasting is all comedians are very accessible because of podcasts and, and most people in 
the media world are trying to get as much attention as possible. So if you know if you're trying to get if you were to ring somebody and say who is in the media world and say, Can I get an interview with you? If if you've got a pretty big audience, they're gonna to wanna to, wanna to speak. And uh and I listened to one guy who has got a pretty popular podcast and he said he tried to get Bill Burr on and Bill was like, Well, I want to be doing my work, I want to be a comedian, I want to be writing, that's my work, and so if I come on your podcast, I can't spend time doing that, so I'm out for the next few months, I might come talk to you in six months from now, but right now, I'm, I've got a job to do, and that sense of prioritising your mission is is a, one of the reasons Bill Burr has been so successful, is because he's he's working on his craft, he's working on becoming better at the thing that he does, and if you ask somebody who is thinking, but what is my mission? Well, maybe you need to work on allowing some time to discover it. And then if you ask somebody who is knows what your mission is and maybe aren't prioritizing it enough, maybe a real good question to think about is, what are the distractions that are pulling me away from this? And maybe another thing to think about as well, and I always think this one's really interesting, because we are all chasing to look good in the, the eyes of the world. And today we live in a world where the way we have to look good has certain things around it. it, it you know, it's, it's probably a certain level of wealth, the things we own and all those external factors. But if I were to let go of the need of those those outside influences that actually ultimately don't satisfy me and put all my mission, my life into that kind of, my energy into that mission work, what would my life be like? It's a really interesting question to think about. I've got a really good interview, guys. I've got a really good interview today with a guy called Bryce Hastings. Bryce Hastings is a guy I admire a lot. It's a guy, I go out to Auckland a lot to work for Les Mills, and Bryce Hastings basically has a job to be an educator for Les Mills. So uh, him and a few other people in the academic world basically do research around exercise um, on both the physical and mental side to understand how we can create fitness programs that are going to help people be more successful in exercise. And you're going to discover pretty quickly that Bryce is a very intelligent man. And that's why I love speaking to him, because A, he's got a level of intelligence that I just admire, and a curiosity that I admire as well. But the other thing about Bryce that is really appealing is he has an adventurous soul. And pretty much the first part of the interview is me just talking to him about why adventure is so important to him. And... The example is I go up to Auckland pretty much once every three months and I'll spend a week up there and every time I seem to go up there he's been doing some new amazing adventure and I, I, one thing I really wanted to dig deep to with Bryce today was this idea of why is adventure tours important to him and what he gains from it and he comes up with some really cool answers so Bryce is going to be our interview first but before we do that I just want to say thank you to all the patrons of the show. And I do have a new patron for this week's episode, and it's Ella Green. Ella Green is, is a really great supporter of the show, and she actually lives in the UK. And uh, she sent me an email saying, because she she missed the show where I said I could meet up with some people, so unfortunately we didn't get to meet up. But she sent me an email of a list of all the things I could do there, and uh, I managed to tick most of those off, so I was pretty happy with that. Ella, the nickname I've given you is Boom Boom Pow. I like that one. Ella Boom Boom Pow Green. And uh, basically, she's going to beat the crap out of everyone. So there we go. Some other patrons that have been regular patrons of the show include, include Mary Jane Mariko, and she's the magic. We've got Katrina the architect, 
We've got Kim Anderson Hadley, and she is surging further. And we've got Lana Kingy. And Lana Kingy, I actually was in Wellington. I've been up in Wellington for the last few days because we're taking a business up there. And I managed to bump into Lana twice. So, so what are the chances of that? She was running in the morning when we were out on the road running. And then in the afternoon, I met her with her partner, who I know a partner as well, and we're just at the park. So Lana, it was good to see you out there and good to see you keeping happy as always and uh she is the queen of change so these people have been regular contributors to the show if you want to be a patron just go to bevanjamesoz.com it really really does help guys it really does so thank you for all those people who are patrons you know who you are and i think you you, you really make a difference so thank you very much and uh, there you go right guys i'm going to get into the interview here is bryce hastings again i really enjoyed this interview hopefully you do too Okay, team. I'm very excited to have uh, this man on the show today, a guy by the name of Bryce Hastings. He's um, in the Les Mills world. Uh, I know a few of you guys are Les Mills people. Would uh, You probably know Bryce well from a lot of the educational material he's presented over the years and the research he's done there. Uh, he's, he's a man who I admire for lots of reasons. A, his intellect, but B, his attitude towards life, which I actually want to ask some questions of him on today. But first of all, welcome to the show, Bryce. Thank you. It's good to be here. Yeah, it's cool, mate. Hey, so, so first of all, let's before we kind of talk into some of the academic stuff, the one thing I love about you is I get to come up to Auckland every three months, and and every time I get to meet you, there's some kind of epic journey you've been on. Um, maybe tell us some of the journeys you've done before we kind of get into this. Uh, yeah, the most recent one was it was a, um, I was lucky enough to do a trip to Bhutan. I did the snowman trek there, just four weeks. And uh, I don't know if you ever get the chance to go to the, Him- the Himalayas. They're, they're just awesome. Uh, so Bhutan's on the eastern end of the Himalayas. A lot of people go to the western end through Nepal and Kathmandu, but um, Bhutan is a it's a Buddhist country. It's really interesting. The culture hasn't changed there for thousands and thousands of years. Like these guys are just they're yak herders, and they they trade their subsistence farmers. They trade whatever they have in surplus with the neighbouring village. The neighbouring village is about three days walk away, over about oh, six really? mountain passes. Wow. Yeah, and you actually just get to you want once you're in there you're really remote and you just hang out in these villages and go from one village to the next and just get a glimpse of what life has been like you know at the start of the agricultural revolution you know and it just hasn't changed it's wow. it's amazing and the buddhist stuff is kind of cool too they they actually have their national happiness index so that instead of measuring gdp the country actually measures the the population's happiness and they oh. take it really seriously oh they really yeah. do because i've heard it talked about in western societies but it's kind of an underhanded kind of you know this is something we care about yeah yeah they have a royal family over there and they they have these pillars of happiness and they they include things like retaining the culture and family values and uh health and all that kind of stuff that they kind of see as really important and, and generates happiness in the population so it's it's just a fascinating culture to immerse yourself in for a while well so when you're there is it really noticeable that they have that different focus they are very content people yeah, and I think you know happiness in the Buddhist um, culture is just lack of suffering, and you know they're in a really harsh climate. We can only you can only travel there for about four months of the year. The rest of the time, it's either snowed in or it's monsoon. Um, and these people are just so content just to kind of wait out that sort of climate harshness, so that they can get to a neighbouring village with some extra rice, and you know they're just happy doing that. Wow, well, that's kind of my I think we. We're starting to see influences of cell phones and, and um, 
Wi-Fi starting to get through. Uh, they don't have the phone. They, they don't have phones in those villages. There's no traffic light in the whole country, and um, you know, so they've been kind of uh, preserved, I think, from sort of a lot of the cultural changes that we've been through. And they just they're obviously desperate for this kind of broader influence mm. now. And for us, we look at that and say, "Oh, what a shame!" Yeah, you, like, do, you think that, don't, don't you? Yeah. <laughs> don't do it. Yeah, you're don't ruining it. yourself. But it's such a selfish thing because, you know, obviously these people have just never seen any of this type of stuff before and they're starting to get it now and they have phones and smartphones and stuff. And, um, yeah, they're starting to get influenced by this Western kind of uh, culture. And well, it's, it's a shame, but, you know, you can't hold them back. Well, there's really interesting research that comes out um, around Samoan females around insecurity around body weight and how that was never an issue because they're, they're a bigger mass of people. Um, mm. And when we think about body shape... And it was never an issue until TV came around in Samoa and how suddenly once TV came around, the insecurities and all the kind of esteem problems that came up with TV, because obviously mm. the, you know, the Western kind of white person didn't look anything like a Samoan female. And, and so in some ways you kind of, you want to protect them from that kind of, you know, marketing need to kind of sell to the detriment of, you know, your kind of human kind of happiness. <laughs> if you know what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. It just kind of taps into that thing we have for, you know, that, you know, I always look, take it back to that frontal lobe. You know, we're we're blessed with this frontal lobe, but it's also a curse. It's like we're the only animal that can have anxiety because we can now see ourselves in the future. So you get that Samoan female suddenly seeing what she could be and that she's not, and now she's stressed and she's anxious. You know, yeah, <laughs> you know, it's a yeah, it's a it's a blessing because we we that's how we get so creative. You know, we how we're driven, but also it's kind of what lends itself to all those you know, like depressive illness and anxiety and all that kind of stuff. Hey, so yeah. Before we go into this motivation stuff, so I want to know what's your approach to life because I, I like I really I admire you in so many ways, but I do love this kind of seeking adventure aspect of you. So why do you prioritize that so much? And and can you maybe just tell me your approach towards that? For me, it's educational. Uh, you know that that was we were camping over five thousand meters high every night between five and six thousand meters, which is quite harsh. And people kind of. I came back and people say, you're so adventurous. And when they started saying that, I thought, I was thinking, oh, I'm not really that adventurous. I'm just like you, uber curious. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just really curious. I just have to know. Yeah. I want to know what the Himalayas are like. And really the only way I think um, is to go and experience and kind of interact with it somehow. Like I don't want to just look at it on someone's slides or um, it's a bit old-fashioned, isn't it? Talking YouTube about slides. Clip <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't want to look at it through someone else's eyes. I actually want to get in there and interact and really experience. And I'm kind of like, a, I guess in that sense, I'm a kinesthetic learner. You've just got to get in there and get amongst it. Um, uh, so... Yeah, for me, it's educational. It's just increasing your awareness. And awareness is lots of things. It's it's not knowledge. I'm not after knowledge. I'm just after awareness, mm -hmm. you know, and, and having some sort of appreciation as to what life is like in that kind of area. I think, that, you know, the next thing I have in my mind is Morocco and getting into the sort of high atlas mountains because, again, you're going to see civilizations that you just, you, you'll never experience anything like that anywhere else and I, I i really want to know what it's like you know and that's what drives me i think and, and when you come back to everyday life obviously there's got to be a shift and, and what kind of shifts have you experienced through those yeah i think it um it just changes your perspective it just you just see the world as bigger and you see yourself as kind of small and i think it kind of generates a certain degree of humility mm. um that you know a lot of these things that you strive for i mean if i'd 
taken a GST return over there, those people would have seen that as a bit of paper with some sort of brown stripes on it. And they sort of, if this is bothering you, I can throw it away for you. You know, like it's, it's kind of, <laughs> yeah. we, we get ourselves wound up about things when they're we're actually worried about survival. And, you know, you know, people wire on about climate change, but I saw real real um, examples of climate change and what it's doing to those sorts of civilizations because they're having glacial lakes now that are mm. filling up and just bursting their banks, and they get absolutely no warning. They're living down in this gully that has a river running through it, and then you know, two miles upstream, some glacial lake has just burst its banks, and it'll just come through and wipe out a whole civilization. Mm. Um, that's a real worry. Like mm. they, they still consider survival probably on a very regular basis, which we don't have to do. Yeah. Um, so, you know, being exposed to that, it kind of just kind of shakes your own life. It just rattles your tree. You just kind of say, well, hang on, <laughs> you don't need to worry about that. You, you know, uh, there's stuff that we kind of, in our small kind of existence that we get wound up about. And I think those types of trips just help to kind of level that out a bit. Uh, interesting question I have for you is that, you then come back to a world which is very ego-driven. Like, I, I, Les Mills, it's doing important work in society, but, you know, instructors do tend to have a bit of priority on their own ego, and, and I, I put my hand up for it in the past, I've definitely been that person. How do you manage that? Yeah. Um, I find the meaning in that kind of world, um, and I think some of the research that we're doing and some of the things that we're trying to change in the industry or kind of enlighten the industry about, that's the stuff that really matters to me. Yeah. I, I can look past that person who's like a fantastic performer, who's super fit, and I think, well, you know, that person is like that and they're going to be inspirational to people who aren't like that. Mm. So you, you just kind of you balance it out and you mm. think, well, that person's got the ability to influence a lot of people who need help. Mm. And so if you focus on the best way for them to deliver that to these other people and kind of make it scientific and kind of research-based and know that they're doing the best job that they can, that's kind of what drives me in that world. Um, so, yeah, you've got your superstars and you've got your rock stars, but we need those. We need those people that people can like relate to or, or, or kind of strive to be like. Uh, we all want to be the ultimate version of ourselves. And I think a lot of people see people like you on stage and they go, I, I can't want to be more like him. Mm. And, you know, that's fine. And that, it might come with some ego issues, but actually I think there's a lot of positive things that come from that too. Mm. So so in the last few years you've been doing a lot of work at Penn State. Um, maybe just give us a background on that. Yeah, we've um, got a, a research studio over at Penn State now, which is a group fitness gym. Uh, and people who come into that gym are monitored really closely is what, you know, what group fitness does to them both. Uh, and we've tested psychometric scores and values in them. Um, as they've, if they've just if they're new to exercise, we kind of track them over a six month period. Um, we've looked at our resistance training program, Body Pump, uh, and its effect on bone density, which has never been measured before, because people have known that you know bone density is a real issue. It's something like mm. 47 million people are going to have problems with bone density by the year 2020. Wow. It's like it's a massive problem. And um, you know, and bone density doesn't sound like it's that threatening, but if you fall over when you're elderly and you break your hip, um, the the death rate after a fractured hip is really high because people can't get moving again, mm. and then they just kind of they they just sort of become inactive and they get all the complications associated with that. So bone density is a real issue. And in the past, we've thought that the only way you can improve bone density with weights is to lift really heavy weights, which compresses the bone and form, and gets the new bone cells to kind of create more bone. But with body pump, which is low load but lots of volume, we found that you can actually improve bone density by using light weights if you kind of push them for, for long enough. Um, so bone uh, body pump 
you know, it was a 55-minute class and people kind of lift lightish weights and they just kind of lift them to fatigue and that's actually enough to change bone. So, you know, we, we, we run studies like that out of Penn State uh, where we look at um, different variables and different fitness variables and um, we just kind of measure the effectiveness of our programs on those variables. Mm. And the beauty of that is it's applied research. So it's not kind of looking at some weird approach to exercise that only ever occurs in a lab when someone's testing it. It's real. Like you can go and do body pump and loads and loads of gyms around the world. Like 15,000 gyms have body pumps. So this is something that we can test and go, okay, so people in loads of different communities can go and do this and improve their bone density. So it's, it's kind of, it generates some really cool stuff. So, so recently you've been doing some work on motivation and uh, it's, it's obviously lots of people out there listening to this right now. Motivation is that it's almost like the magic pill everyone wants. You know, yeah. I think deep down everyone kind of feels they know what they should do. But yeah. how do I make myself do it is always the big question, isn't it? And yeah, so, yeah. Um, so maybe tell us in some of the work you've done around that. Yeah, this was out of Curtin University, actually, in, in Perth. Um, and group fitness is a, is a great environment. Um, you know, we have this inspirational instructor. But I'm really interested in kind of, you know, are we creating the best environment for people to adhere to exercise? And exercise adherence is probably, you know, our biggest problem. I think less than 20% or around 20% of people actually follow fitness guidelines or meet the guidelines put out by the ACSM in terms of what people should do in terms of activity on a weekly basis. And I look at people like you and I kind of consider me the same. Like, did you exercise today? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah, why, <laughs> no yeah. yeah exactly. Yeah. No brainer. So yeah. why did you so why did you exercise today? Like what what can you can you even think of what it was that kind of drove you to today's session? Well, it's partly because I've created a world around it. So it's partly it's my job. Um, yeah. partly it's because I'm 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 like I'm trying to do a marathon right now, so it's personal growth. Um, partly, partly it's an esteem thing. So, like, I feel I lose myself if there's a period of time where I don't do exercise. Although I'm so good at managing that, that nowadays, it's not really a concern. But you know, yeah. so there's kind of there's a few little things. But and also, I just like if we look at, I love the feeling of it. You know, like I so said, there's all that benefits that come alongside mm. it as well. So and I also, yeah, yeah so all that stuff. Yeah, I think you hit on something that that I, I so I've been looking at this, and I think okay, so why is it that these people are absolutely hooked to exercise and and couldn't imagine a day without it, mm. and yet you've got eighty percent of people who aren't doing enough mm. and dread it. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so so that's the thing that I came back to, and you mentioned that you kind of lose yourself mm. if you didn't do it. So there's and and what you're describing, and this is the type of motivation we've been looking at, um, and the theory around motivation. There's loads of you know, theories and, and um, systems around how people describe motivation and what influences it. But the one that we've been looking at recently is the self-determination theory. And we've been working with a researcher named Nikos Tamanis, who's now at Curtin University. He was previously in Birmingham. And he's a, a leading researcher in this area of self-determination theory. And the self-determination theory is basically looking at people making choices because they feel it's part of them. They're not making choices. They're not driven by anything else. They're determining their own decisions. And that kind of sounds pretty obvious to you and me when we look at kind of exercise. But a lot of people, when they start out exercising, in fact, most people, are exercising because they feel they have to. Mm. They're not exercising like we are because we want to. They're exercising because they have to. So it's and a, that's a guilt-ridden kind of... 
it's guilt. It's um, you know someone's putting them under some pressure. Yeah. Um, they're actually imposing that pressure on themselves. There's a certain amount of external influence on them that's driving them to change their behaviour. And if you look at pressure in the early stages of exercise, often that what is what leads to people kind of dropping out or contributes to it, people dropping out. Because if you're a coach, if you're a, someone running an exercise session, and let's just kind of talk right outside of group fitness, this is kind of exists in all sort of walks of life even. If you're trying to motivate someone to do something, they've turned up because they've already felt some degree of pressure that they need to do this thing. And then they arrive at the session and you start putting them under more pressure because of your coaching language and because you're enthusiastic and you just want this person to do what you do. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that you kind of, you almost feel like you need them to, then it's that pressure that kind of builds up over a period of time. And that is something that can, that, that doesn't allow people to make a shift into long-term motivation because what we need to be doing as exercise professionals is shifting people to our state Taking them from exercising because they have to and shifting it to them exercising because they want to. And there's and these researchers have looked at things that get in the way of them making that process. Like so everyone's gonna start off because they have to, there's pressure. But our job is to convert that pressure and that type of drive into them just kind of making decisions based on themselves. And and a lot of it is giving them control. Like if we impose pressure on them, we take the control away from them, they just feel all this pressure. And exercise will always be a chore when they see it that way. It's not something they're, they're deciding to do. They're only doing it because people are imposing demands on them. And that's really just detrimental. And so it just ends up creating more resistance, which pushes them away. Yeah. And if like the best example that everyone could probably imagine is just watch The Biggest Loser. You know, when you've got some poor obese person on a treadmill with a personal trainer screaming at them telling them they can't get off mm, mm. you cannot get off that machine mm. i'm not going to let you i mean how much pressure is that they've yeah. put themselves under pressure to do this thing that they don't want to do and then they just get screamed at and these people mean well you know it's not like and really they are trying to do what they feel is best for this person but you know um I think we kind of exercises, you know, it, it used to be just for fanatics and now exercise has to be mainstream. Like pretty much everybody should be doing some level of exercise just because of sedentary lifestyles mm. and what we eat. Mm. So now it's kind of broadened and it's got to become normal behavior. Um, and we've got to grow up and realize that people, you, you can't yell at people like you yell at elite sportsmen. They're not going to respond the same way. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, so this is kind of what the self-determination theory talks about. It talks about the process of taking somebody from that stage of exercising because they have to and slowly kind of working them through the process until they're exercising because they want to. And if you're exercising because you want to, you won't quit. Yeah, that's long-term behavior yeah. change. That's where it's come, where it comes from. Whereas if someone stays in that early phase, they'll just eventually they'll drop out. We know that fifty percent of people drop out of exercise within the first six months. So, so yeah. I suppose there's two two kind of angles to look at this. There's the well, what do we as fitness professional or people who are trying to encourage other people into exercise? What is a better approach? And then also for those listening who maybe don't have exercise and, you know, is it something you can do by yourself? So let's look at the exercise first in person first. You know, me standing up on stage, uh, you know, my traditional kind of yell at people like crazy, you know, you've seen me. But then, you know, like what what's the approach that we need to help others make that transition? Yeah, it's, it's a language thing. 
it's your approach and it's your language and it's kind of allowing them a bit of space to make decisions for themselves. So instead of you saying, I need you to drop lower in those lunges, it's like, can you drop lower in those lunges? Or I'm going to drop lower in these lunges. Who's coming with me? Like, mm-hmm. you know, who's going to come? Mm-hmm. Like just opening it up and say, look, I'm inviting. I'm not, con- you know, I'm not controlling. I'm not demanding. I'm actually inviting you to do this. So like mm-hmm. if you're running sprint sessions, like, have you got another one versus you're running another one? Yeah. I need you to run another one. It's, it's kind of, it's that type of approach. Yeah. Um, and then they will because they're inspired by you, but they will and they'll be making their own decision to do it versus actually being controlled to do it. Mm. And once they've kind of get used to making that decision themselves, then they actually just continue making the decision. And that's kind of, that's what creates, that's helps create that shift. What, what, so it's, it can be quite subtle. What, what kind of perspective should I, as an instructor, have on the new? You know, because obviously my role was to identify who's who. You know, to understand that. Okay, you know, Bryce turns up to work out. I know he's exercised, so he really just wants to be challenged. So it's cool. Mm-hmm. Whereas when I've got this new person turning up, what kind of a perspective should I look on this person with? Um, yeah, I, I think that's the difficulty in things like group fitness. It's mm. different in personal training because personal trainers are working with one person mm. and you can really gear your language and your um, your methods to, to the needs of that person. Um, and But uh, I think in, you know, human nature will kind of get you to keep firing information out to people who respond, the people in front of you who are responding, and that's going to be your long-termers. The people who are already there, they're already exercising because they want to mm. and you've got these poor people at the back who are the ones who are exercising because they have to and they're actually the ones who need more help mm. they're the ones that are at risk of not being there next week your regulars are there week in and week out mm. would, regardless of what you say to them pretty much mm. you know that they actually identify it they would lose themselves as you said you would if they didn't exercise you know that next time you turn up so mm. they're going to be there mm. and to me you know I, I just look at the health issues that we have and you think of things like cardiovascular disease and obesity and diabetes and all that kind of stuff and we're missing the boat when a lot of people who really need our help and to me they're the priority so yeah I, I, I think there's you know the, the beauty that you have it as an, as an instructor or as a coach is people will be inspired by you because they see your love of what you do and that in, in itself is inspiring. Mm. And then if you kind of say, you know, here I am, this is what I do, and I love this stuff. This is the best hour of my day. That is infectious. That's a type of motivation. And that's not demanding anything of them. That's actually just kind of getting them caught up in the energy. And then you make them, that allow them make their own decisions. And I think that becomes really powerful. So you're almost like showing them just what the benefit is and just by your being yeah. and then allowing them to kind of experience it by using great language that gives them the choice of ownership. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. exactly. Yeah. yeah. So then if I am the person who's listening right now who, you know, kind of probably feeling a bit guilty, feeling a bit pressure, <laughs> you know, these two fitness geeks are talking about fitness and, you know, like, yeah. if and you don't maybe not have the support network around you or you haven't PTs or all the rest of it, what's a good way forward for someone like that? Yeah, just start slow, you know, like, and uh, recognize that, you know, there's pressure at the start and, and recognize what that pressure does. It actually does generate a shift in behavior, um, but don't be hard on yourself and allow yourself to kind of make, make decisions. Um, and also aligning with somebody who, or reading 
or listening to these types of sessions and understanding what your body goes through. So if you understand the process, and another thing that these guys use is meaningful coaching. So they don't just demand things from people without an explanation. They say, look, if you push this next 30 seconds, or if you get your muscles to kind of go a little bit faster here, you'll recruit more muscle fibers and you'll burn more calories. Mm. This is the time where you can really shift your fitness. Mm. It's kind of, it can happen now. Mm. Are you going to do it? Like, are you coming with me? Like, Mm. so that meaningful explanation means that they're in in a better place to make those decisions themselves. Um, Meaningful praise also works. Like, you know, one of the things that we have in uh, group fitness is, you know, people just get caught up in the moment. They're just kind of yelling out, you know, you guys are amazing. (laughs) You guys are awesome. And it's not all awesome. (laughs) Most of us are average. That's what average (laughs) is. (laughs) Um, And, uh, yeah, so meaningful praise. Like, you know, that's so much better. You're getting so much deeper in those lunges. Like, as, as a recipient of that type of information, I think, yeah, I'm really making ground here. And that's kind of motivational. Again, once I've got that information, I'll make that decision again. Okay, so this is good. I'm going to make that decision to drop deeper in my lunges. I'm going to get more out of this. So, mm. you know, there's a there's a lot of tricks that we can kind of use to get people to make that transition through that motivational process. Or we can just create barriers for people and we can kind of turn them off. If we, if we look at the person who is into fitness and they're looking for the higher level, you know, like, so, you know, we've talked a lot about the kind of how do we help the people who are losing the battle um, but what about the person who's kind of, because one thing we find, like the one thing I find often with people who fitness is the biggest downfall is now it's just a habit. Mm-hmm. Um, and because and ultimately I think we want to have that experience of growth as a person, uh, particularly people who have got that habit because as you say, you know, we need that sense of self. Um, and I know I've gone through periods, it's funny, I've recently started training for a marathon and I haven't done much racing in the last few years. And, uh, and I've had the habit of exercise over the last probably 18 months to two years. And I always will have. But going back to having a goal has reminded me of that higher level that I love. Yeah. Um, and so for people who maybe listen to it and maybe have that kind of, you know, they know they're going to get up and do it. But if anything, it's just it's the same routine each week. If anything, they're probably not even progressing. Uh, they're just kind of stagnant and plateaued. What are some advice you'd give around motivation for those types of people? Yeah, I, I think we can actually learn a lot from um, from CrossFit. You know, CrossFit's become really popular, mm. and I think what CrossFit has brought to the injury, uh, the the injury, <laughs> a Freudian slip. Wasn't it? Um, um, what what CrossFit has brought to the industry is benchmarking. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and what benchmarking is basically in terms of motivation is perceived competence. And perceived competence also kind of fits into this sort of self-determination theory, and it's a very important driver of motivation. Um, And it's like getting that meaningful praise. You perceive yourself as being better, right? So what athletes tap into is perceived competence, Mm. you know, so they – they're not happy with the status quo. They want some sort of measure that they're improving, and that'll be what drives them. They make that decision. So it's an autonomous decision. No one's making it for them. They mm-hmm. want to get to that next level. They'll have a meaningful explanation of why the training that they're doing is going to take them to that next level. And then they'll want they'll want a benchmark. 
they'll definitely want a benchmark so that they'll be, have some degree of perceived competence. So that piece of training meant that I got faster at that score. So that's my motivation. So that just becomes a cycle then. So, you know, athletes go into that phase of necessary failure. They'll actually just, you know, push themselves to get that next level. Um, and they won't, they'll, they'll want to come out of every training session changed. They want to, you know, that's what athletes do versus us. You know, there's that analogy that we all, we've all driven a car, like there's that 10 10,000 hours of elite performance but we've all driven cars for 10,000 hours but we're not all Formula 1 drivers the difference with Formula 1 drivers is that every time they get into a car they want to come out a better driver Mm. you know I don't have that when I'm on my scooter on the way to work I I just (laughs) want to get to work Um, so yeah I think get athletes kind of they use a similar system but i think they just take it to another level i think they're still making their own decisions though like i I think your coaches can yell and scream at athletes but they want it anyway Mm -hmm. um um, and i think you know when you're looking at benchmarking and perceived competence and all that kind of stuff that's kind of what shifts them it's interesting i once was once got to do a a talk and i was at same talk grant henry was doing a talk and i got to sit down with him and and we had this really interesting conversation around who we're trying to motivate and because he's he's dealing with the All Blacks, the greatest one of the greatest sports teams in the world, and these highly competent athletes who are very motivated. And uh, you know, and him and then me talking about, you know, my get up to five group, which is total new runners and you right. know, and just that the the kind of motivation strategies around how it's just a completely different game. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's crazy. And you think those people are there. Like we look at them and we think they're there. We I look at a lot Roger Federer mm. and I just think no one can play tennis better than that guy. He will go into every training session, want to be better at something that he's doing on the tennis court. Yeah. Still. You yeah. know, as a you know, Djokovic is exactly the same. He'll be wanting to leave every training session having just kind of got that second serve half a kilometer quicker and a little bit closer to that line, you know, just so it's gonna be harder to return. You know, that's that's what drives those guys through every training session. They just mm. kind of identify something and they want to nudge it out a little bit further. Yeah. With regards to nutrition, not in this series, but motivation around nutrition, because obviously, you know, the big part of the factor we've been talking about is movement. Mm. Uh, but another big factor nowadays is nutrition. And it's a, nutrition is such a put your gloves on, get ready for a fight kind of discussion, mm. isn't it? Because there's so many different contra- uh, contradicting pieces or, or kind of theories around what we should be eating. But when we think about just motivation in regards to eating and diet, do you have any thoughts on that? Um, yeah, I, I think, uh, well, I always bring it back to is exercise. What we can influence through our industry is exercise and what you and I kind of influence. We can't really sort of, you know, stand over people as they eat. No. We can kind of set them an exercise prescription. We know people exercise who exercise eat better, you know. So I think a lot of the, um, you know, you, you kind of make want to make some some wins, uh, with your exercise program. And generally, when we've kind of got taken people who are sedentary through an exercise regime um, and we haven't got them to make any changes in their diet, we haven't prescribed any dietary changes, uh, anecdotally, they tell us that they start eating better. They start making better decisions. But that, and it, but it's, it's not just eating. They, they do better at work. Um, they make better decisions. They've got more energy. Um, and you know, if you if you start to get to that phase where you start to get endorphin releases and all that kind of stuff, that starts to kind of 
less in addictive behavior in other areas because you're kind of getting a high from something else. Mm. So, yeah, I, I kind of just, I'm not a nutritionist or I'm not a dietitian, so I kind of steer clear of the dietary advice. Mm. But I, I kind of know what we, we generate from being active. And um, like, you know, if, if we're making good decisions in other aspects of our lives, I think we end up making better decisions and, and there's, a, there's a runoff of that, there's a side effect of that. Yeah. I'm not sure if that answers that question, but that's kind of that's what we've hinged it on, uh, you know, in group fitness and the stuff that I work on. We can't really influence how people eat, no. but we can influence kind of their exercise behavior, and we know that influencing their exercise behavior actually helps other walks of life too, other aspects of their lives. Mm. What uh, any of your areas you want to just kind of any areas of interest that really kind of spin your wheels that you want to share? Um, I hadn't thought of any others. Um, we've we're kind of. Uh, at the moment at Les Mills we've got some great research happening at the moment with um, Edgehill University in the UK where we're looking at our Born to Move program. Oh, tell us about that because it's really uh, important. Yeah, really, really important. If kids make good decisions on it based on, you know, in terms of being active when they're kids, they're far more likely to do it when they're adults. So, so just so people don't know, Les Mills have a program called Born to Move which is their, their kids program basically and it goes from pretty much seven up. Yeah, no, it's it's younger than that. It's oh, three okay. to five is, oh, the, wow. okay. is the first group, and then it kind of goes all the way up into kind of late teens. Okay. Um, and yeah, and it's not about you know people sort of look at Les Mills and say you know the successful organisation just wants to now get in on the bandwagon for kids and get money from something else. It's not about that at all. The whole driver from from Born to Move is using what we know and have been successful in with getting adults active and trying to stimulate the same sort of changes in attitude in kids and it's really about attitude shift it's just trying to get kids to like being active um, and so a lot of the research we do in this area isn't kind of whether they're um, changing body composition or shifting their vo2 or any of the other stuff that we've kind of done with adults it's just really about shifting attitudes yeah. um, and if we're not shifting attitudes the product's not right Mm. You know, they, like we just want kids to engage and feel like a sense of enjoyment from being active. And we only want them to do Born to Move twice a week, but we want them outside of Born to Move to then start becoming active in other areas. And that's what we're measuring. We're measuring their ability to kind of come to these classes twice a week and then feel like they want to do something on the other days, um, which is you know a really important behavior shift. And what are you finding are the keys to making that work? You know, like, what are the keys to, you know, because I'm sure lots of people listening as parents right now, you know, because we live in this device-filled world, and I know there's things about boundaries and all the rest of it, but if if the kids aren't going to enjoy it, you you know, you're never going to get them out there, are you? And it's always going to be a battle. So what are some of the keys that you guys are finding are helping kids to make that transition to, A, just not just do twice a week, but also want to be out doing more? Yeah, it's it's just that, it's enjoyment. Like, it just boils down to, with kids, they've just got to be enjoying it. You know, if 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 they're not, because that is in in itself, that's that type of motivation where they'll want to turn up. They'll just want to do it. But if they're kind of driven in there because it's part of the PE curriculum and you know the teachers telling them they have to and all that kind of other stuff that we've just been talking about with adults, it Mm. works in kids too. So born to move is designed to just kind of get get kids having fun and um, and just enjoy being active. And what what, what creates enjoyment? Is it social? Is it um, gameplay? Yeah, there's a lot of lot of elements to it. Uh, We get kids to help us design these things. Really? Yeah. 
Yeah, and we try something out on them, and they go, "No, well, you know, that's a bit naff," or you know, and especially in the teens, and oh, well, that's not cool. You might yeah, have thought that yeah. was cool as an adult, but that is not cool. <laughs> and so that these kids kind of come up with this choreography, and it's actually it's pretty wild. Um, and they do their own version of martial arts, and they kind of want to do their own dances, and they want to kind of do you know their own stuff. And and I think that coming from that influence, we can kind of try and. Um, identify what it is that just that kids are going to grab and want to enjoy. What would your advice be to parents? Yeah, just find something that they enjoy. Just yeah. you know, just you you just talk to your kids and observe them, take them, try lots of different things, and when you find those things that they love, then just just you know, you know, Ken Robinson, uh, his book, yeah. The Element, he yeah, talks about kids finding their element, and I, I I just think that's part of it. You know, Tiger Woods became a great golfer because he just wanted to play golf. Mm. You know, there was no, there was no motivating him. He just picked up a golf club and loved it. Um, not so with Andre Agassi. He also became very good. Yeah, he yeah. Like it so much. But um, yeah, I, I just, yeah, I don't have kids, so I don't know. I, it's a, a, this is a very um, conceptual piece of advice. But you know, just from what we've seen, you've just got to get them loving it. Well, I think one one piece of advice that's really important for parents is this concept of. Um, your commitment to your kids because I think nowadays one of the problems with our lives we lead is we're also time poor um, you know we both parents are working we have high stress jobs and that whole idea of sometimes it's easier just to let the kid go do the device because um, it's mm. almost that's my relief um, mm. and, and sure you know we all need downtime but it's what level of commitment am I showing to my kids to show them that health is important yeah. and am, am I shirking that responsibility at times where Ultimately, I shouldn't be. And maybe as a parent, it's that kind of looking in the mirror thing just to go, actually, I know I'm not pulling my socks up here. And, you know, because if you, as Bryce is saying, if I can make that commitment to helping them discover environments where it's fun, because if we can get it as kids, it's there for life, isn't it? Yeah, and if your kid's seeing you come back for a run and you're just so happy, it was the best hour of your life, what do you think they're going to want to do? Yeah. 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 And, and, you go. I have a brother who, you know, the best part of his, his week is kind of watching wrestling on TV. He just loves it. <laughs> nice. What, what do you think his kid wants to do? Yeah. just can't wait for the wrestling to come on TV because his father's in, so into it, you know, which is, yeah, it's, it's, they'll just see what you enjoy and they'll kind of feed off that. It's so influential. And I suppose yeah. if you are the parent who isn't an exerciser, um, yeah. you know, obviously we're trying to encourage you to get moving and maybe yeah. your kid will see that journey, but also show that commitment to your kid because it's it's really important stuff. Yeah. yeah. Buy a dog is my advice. Oh, really? Because it gets you moving? Yeah, dogs are far more effective than gym memberships. Really? <laughs> Absolutely. Wow, you just lost a lot of money for Les Mills. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can tie your dog up. And come <laughs> up. <laughs> yeah, buy a dog. So, so yeah, that's purely because people feel the responsibility to move their dogs that they have to walk the dog. A lot of it's in kind of European countries where they're, they're probably in apartments and small places they don't have anywhere for the dog to run around, so they have to walk the thing. Yeah, buy a dog. Wow, that's fascinating. Yeah, well, the, who needs fitness? Hey, buy a dog. Yeah, absolutely. Buy a dog. <laughs> hey, um, um, just um, thank you so much for coming on. I uh, really appreciate your time. I know you're a very busy man. Um, I'll, I'll probably try to get you going again in the future because I think you're really rock star. And uh, keep up the good work. If, if are you someone who tries to get people to follow you like you into twitter and all that no, stuff no i'm hopeless i'm not on any social media and uh you know i just kind of channel everything through les mills i think they can get to a much bigger audience and yeah. what i would and i, I you know i just happy for them to kind of take the lead on all this sort of stuff and filter out because we've got this fantastic army of instructors and 
like and you will find this too like if you can influence them in a positive way then you, you know your reach is just you know it's 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 great like and they're passionate and they want to do it so you know like i just do it through that it's well great. well your passion shines through as well mate like i know you're not up on stage but you're definitely pretty passionate about what you're doing so thanks for your time mate and uh, keep up the good work awesome thanks man Alrighty, Tim, hopefully you got um, something from my talk with Bryce. I, I again, I, I just wanted some, this, I just love it when you have people in your life who make you think. You know what I mean? I, I think there's so much value to having people in your life who make you think. And uh, Bryce is definitely somebody who, whenever I'm around him, he just he just makes me think. And uh, hopefully by listening to him today, you guys have got a bit of a, an insight into why I find it appealing to be spending time with Bryce. Um, again, he's not really interested in you following him, so there's no real way to follow him on the internet. But if you are doing these most classes or something, or you are an instructor, um, I'm sure you treasure the work that he's done within that business. Um, guys, that, that's pretty much this uh, this show for this fortnight. I'm going to be back in a couple of weeks from now, back with the Bevan Show. I've got a I've got a really interesting subject that I want to share with you guys. Um, yeah, so hopefully you guys will enjoy that, and then I'll be arranging my next few interviews after that. I haven't actually planned those yet, but I'll get those in front of me over the next couple of weeks. Um, yeah, you guys have a wonderful couple of weeks. If you've got any questions, you can email me at bevanjames at gmail.com. You can also, if you want to become a patron, go to bevanjamesisles.com, and you'll see it's pretty all obvious there. If you do want to get my emails, my weekly newsletters, I kind of do my newsletter fortnightly now. If you want to do my fortnightly newsletter, so I do the show one fortnight, one week and then I do a newsletter the next week. If you want to get those emailed to you, you can just go to bevanjamesisles.com and it's all pretty obvious there. Guys, keep being you, keep trusting in what you do and I'll see you in a couple weeks from now.